Welcome to the Black Heels and Tractor Wheels podcast, where we are sharing stories from a range of women from around New Zealand. For nearly a century, Rural Women New Zealand has been dedicated to strengthening and supporting women and children to become empowered members of their communities. We hope that by hearing these stories from inspiring women all around the country, you'll feel inspired yourself. We're your hosts, Emma Higgins and Claire Williamson, and would love for you to join and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss our rural stories. By the way, this podcast is supported by AFCO, Kiwi to the Bone since 1904, and working with our farming families to supply the world with top quality beef and lamb since then. So Bex, you are now very firmly in the rural life, uh, obviously in the most beautiful part, I think, or one of the most beautiful parts of the South Island. But just take us back a little bit. So what has your life been like before rural adventures have you always lived in the country or do you have more of an a bit of an urban upbringing so I was born in Hamilton surprisingly to most um and I actually started out um started primary school and my early years were in um Cambridge in a sort of rural suburb in Leamington in Cambridge yeah and then actually at the age of six went over to Papua New Guinea so my dad and my stepmom got jobs over there and I spent the next five years of my life in Papua New Guinea, um, which was an incredible experience. And then moved back to New Zealand and to Dunedin. Um, so really urban um, secondary schooling. I had a passion for farming from my friend who was at boarding school at the same school I was a day girl at. And that ended up in sort of lighting a passion for agriculture and lighting a passion for um, veterinary medicine. So the two combined and now I live rurally in Ranfurly. Oh my goodness. Okay, so much to unpack in that very tidy paragraph you just gave us. Um, number one, Papua New Guinea. What, what is that like? I have, I've heard mixed comments about Papua New Guinea and I'm dying to hear from your perspective of someone who's lived there can you just give us a little bit of an insight on what it was like yeah so it was amazing from my perspective but obviously I lived there from the age of six till 11 so like probably really blinkers on like brilliant childhood you know I lived in a compound so I had so many friends running around after school we were safe we had you know there were just always people around we had guards at the front gate so we like we, we lived in a amazing safe bubble and just had friends on tap 24 7 which was amazing um we had a yacht and so we went off sailing to different islands on the weekends and so I was just a fish I used to just spend all of my time in the ocean um and outdoors so it was a beautiful beautiful upbringing um for a six to 11 year old kid um we were there before the coup one of the coups so and so it was yeah, it was definitely an amazing childhood. Yeah, I, I really do. It's one thing I'd say to people is if you're thinking of traveling like overseas with young children, then do it because it was an, it was an incredible experience for me. And I got to see um, a whole different world. And I think now I have such a different appreciation and respect for different ways of life because of experiencing that as a child. Yeah. I mean, borders are open. See you later, guys. You've just sold it to me. <laughs> I'm out of here. um okay I love that that's so cool and it sounds like you just hit you just had the most idyllic experience that brings me to my second question you talk very quickly about going to university and then suddenly ending up 
in rural life. I'm sure there was a man along the way based on what I've read about you. Tell us a little bit about how you meet your other half. Yeah, so Jason and I actually met. So I had been working here in Ranfurly for, oh, I think six months before I met Jason. Um, and we met at a friend's 21st. And yeah, so I was already actually the local vet in town and he had been away at Lincoln and then came home. And yeah, we met at a 21st in town of a mutual friend. And yeah, the rest is history. I love how many of these rural romances either start at the pub at someone's 21st or at some like rural kind of like knees up event like it's so awesome so I'm really interested as a how should I refer to myself a failed vet student um because I didn't quite get there I'm really interested in how you how you decided that you wanted to be a vet and then what your experience of becoming a vet was And because I'm just interested here, I think we'll have some listeners that would love to get into that, you know, that line of work, being super passionate about farm animals and about giving back and about, you know, moving farms forward. So how did you get into it in terms of like, what was the experience of uni like? Maybe the drinking and partying, I'm sure was also fun. Um, And then how did you get into where your specialty is and what sort of things do you love the most about being a vet? these days my so caveat here is my uncle is a vet so quite often you find vets have family members who are vets it seems to be a real real family thing um so my uncle is a vet he started off his career as a mixed practice vet so doing larger animals and small animals but then he ended up specializing in small animals um i had spent quite a bit of time with him throughout my teenage years helping out in the clinic um that he owned and got a bit of experience there And it's interesting, though, like my parents say they don't remember a time where I didn't want to be a vet. I don't remember a deciding moment. It's just something I always had wanted to be. Um, So it was kind of a given that that's what I would be doing when I left school. And so off I went up to Palmerston North and I loved it up there. But it was hard, right? The course is hard. But once again, I am a self-professed geek. So and <laughs> my family will openly admit that I was the geek of the family. Like I love learning and I really get a thrill out of learning something new and completing something. In fact, still I'm addicted to learning. I can't give up doing different courses, learning different things. Um, so uni was a really natural place for me. Um, I thrived in that environment of being given that challenge. And so, yeah, I mean, it it's a really well-structured course and you know it was a knuckle down work hard and achieve which was totally you know up my alley yeah I love that that's awesome I enjoy the fact that yeah your parents obviously have a different view to you around some of the things that you came out with um with what you wanted to be when you were younger we've heard that from a few other people as well but I just want to I guess fast forward to a little bit and talk about where you are now in the space because obviously being a successful vet is one aspect or one of the many hats that you wear amongst also being a mum to three three girls as well but can you tell us a little bit about the whole story because that seems like it's got quite an interesting angle also with the type of structure it is so maybe for our listeners, could you just give us a bit of a rundown on, on what it is? Definitely. So the whole story was kind of curated from years and years of different musings and thoughts going on. But where it really came to fruition was, do you know, like during lockdown, like some people baked bread. Yeah, I set up a social enterprise. Like that is my claim to fame is like some people made bread. 
I set up a social enterprise because, you know, I wasn't busy enough. And so, yeah, what it really was is so the social enterprise that I founded is the whole story. And the whole story is about inspiring, facilitating and articulating sustainability in agriculture. So how that came about is I was faced with a challenge as a farmer. So we've got a 700 hectare sheep, beef and deer farm here in Ramfurley. And the challenge that I was seeing us face as a farming family was that sustainability is really complex and we're out working all day, every day on the farm, getting things done, but we're meant to be putting in new initiatives and sustainability. And when were we going to find the time to research that, to know what the right answers were, to know whether we could do these different things? And I looked at a skill set that I had, which was that I could, like, I'm really passionate about connecting dots. And so I think farmers are so amazingly wonderful at being able to get hard work done. Um, and they're so passionate about leaving their land in a good place and having pride over the work they do and leaving legacy behind. And I think it was connecting that, the fact that you know, farmers are wanting to be more sustainable and they're able to do the work. It's connecting the dots in between of knowing exactly how and what to do. And I found that that was my strength is I am a connector of the dots and I could do something to help here, to help my peers actually make that a bit easier. And the other challenge I guess I was facing that I wanted to confront with the whole story was that sustainability was becoming really synonymous with environment and it left out the considerations of people and our communities and our animals and our business success. So I really wanted it to be a more holistic viewpoint. And I really just want people to get excited about sustainability. Like that is my passion. I, I agree entirely with what you've said around just, yeah, there's so much to take in and going back to your opening statement, so much to take in, so much to learn. But if you're out there on the tools, where are you going to find the time to kind of pull it all together? connect the dots as you say I'm intrigued about the social enterprise aspect can you tell us can we dig into that a little bit more um because yeah. I'm sure there'll be some some listeners out there who might not know what it is or what that concept yeah. is um and I think it's a really interesting one to apply particularly to this topic yeah so I was really passionate about building a purpose-led business so for so long kind of working and learning around corporate business models I just decided that I wanted something that was actually designed to be done with purpose and to, have, to, to be better for our people, to be better for our planet and to be, do you know, just that little bit more heart and soul in the business. And so, uh, so it is a purpose-led business, but also the, so more to the, the complexities of a social enterprise. It's that we're not a not-for-profit. We are about making profit, but the profit gets like, reinvested into our purpose so it's about using the profit to actually have positive impact so yeah it's kind of it's a very different business model it takes some people a wee while to get their heads around but it's really reinvesting that profit into purpose I think that that's the future of business I think everybody is going to have to start answering questions around how they are not only giving back and you know we've talked a lot on this podcast in the past about greenwashing and sort of just going oh yeah we're like planting trees or we're buying up tracts of land and we're you know offsetting our carbon and it's like yeah that's cool but are you giving back to your community and I think that's something that sets you apart which is which is really really awesome so you're obviously a leader you wouldn't be setting up a business that's now starting to thrive um without doing that and 
I've heard that you're also involved in some governance roles and you have had a little bit of a leadership journey. So would you tell us a little bit about that? Tell us about some of the roles that you've held and I think some of the courses that you've done in the journey that you've had in that space for our listeners. Yeah, I guess I'm trying to think where my leadership journey first began. I think it's kind of one of those things that quite often you can't pinpoint the moment you decided to. I think everyone's a leader in their own right, aren't they? It's just the the sphere in which you lead. But I, I guess I've probably been combining that love of learning and um, a natural affinity for leadership has meant that I have actually progressed and and carved out that pathway in my career and life. I've done some courses through my veterinary career that were based around leadership. And so that was it was recognized by actually my boss was back maybe 2013. I was recognized to go on a leadership course that really opened my eyes to communication styles, to values, and that sort of internal work that had to be done to actually be a good leader. And from there, it's really blossomed into there being a whole lot of um, different courses I've done, but a really like pivotal range of courses I've done have been the ones through the Agri-Women's Development Trust. So I've now done Understanding Your Farming Business, It's All About You, and Escalator. Um, Escalator was a complete game changer for me in the leadership space. It, um, I say it changed my script both my internal script and my external script like it really really has changed my life and it's set me up with a really really strong knowledge of who I am as a person and how I want to lead and what my purpose is and from there it's really just been um, stepping stones to make bigger and better things happen because that really set that foundation and I think some of the roles that I've had so I started off just having different committee roles. So um, from the New Zealand Alpine Club, I was on the Otago section committee at 16. I think I was the secretary for that club. Um, I've had different roles within New Zealand Young Farmers, our local club, and also um, the contest committee. I've had roles within, you know, whenever you have young kids, you're always roped into the Plunkett committee. So I've had roles within the local Plunkett committee. I've had a board observer role through my veterinary um, organisation. And yeah, recently, although the time is flying, um, I got appointed as independent director for Quorum Sense. So yeah, I, I really love the governance work I do and I hope to grow in that space. I think it's such an amazing opportunity to be able to impact and influence the sector that you're working in from a really high level. And yeah, I, I'm really, really passionate about growing that, that side of my career. We're just going to take a short break so you can hear a word from our sponsors. AFCO has been part of the fabric of rural New Zealand since 1904 partnering with livestock farmers across New Zealand, supplying quality beef and lamb to markets across the world. This naturally means AFCO works closely with individual farming families and wider rural communities, providing the support where it's needed. Nurturing the grassroots of New Zealand's farming success story, that's AFCO. Kiwi to the bone since 1904. Can you, and this sort of flows on to the, the conversation or the topic that we've just covered, but can you tell us a little bit about the Zander Award? Because I know that you were a, um, a recent finalist in one of the intakes just uh, a couple of years ago. Talk us through a little bit about what that award is and the journey that it takes you on as well, because 
uh, we've we've actually talked and, and had contact with a few people um, outside of this podcast with the Zander Award process. And everyone who does that seems to be a leader in their own right. But I know that there'll be some that are listening to this podcast and will be considering this perhaps as well for the, the next year's entries. Yeah, the Zander McDonald Award was I was so humbled to be a finalist. It was in um, last year, 2021. Um, yes, and it was, for me, it was a really pivotal moment because it was the first time that I was truly recognised for my value set, my story and the life I'd created. You know, quite often people talk about your success in your career before kids um, and then it's kind of like, then it kind of takes a break for a while and then you might get back into it later in life. But Xander came at a time where I we had the two girls at that stage and I had just founded the whole story. And in my application, it was really me. It's the first time I presented truly my set of values, my ideas, my story and my purpose in an application and I was recognized for the value that people saw in that so that for me was really humbling and yeah it was a really proud moment I'm really really grateful for that it's an amazing process so the process itself so Xander McDonald Award is an award for its innovative leaders in the Australasian agricultural sector so and young leaders I was like that's another thing I was like really humble I was included in the young group like <laughs> Yeah, I was like, that was an amazing moment. But it, it's it's such an incredible group of people. And the biggest part about being a finalist is it's not like you're named as a finalist and then all of a sudden there's an awards dinner and then someone's announced. It's you're named as a finalist and you're welcomed into a family. And as a finalist, you're part of that family. And so you automatically gain a network of amazing mentors and, uh, you know, connections that you can lean on and friends. Like these people have genuinely become friends and it's a family of people who will always, you're always a part of. And it doesn't matter actually whether you win or you're, you know, you're not successful in winning the award. Just being a finalist, you're invited and welcomed into that family equally and so there's also amazing like professional development opportunities through just being a finalist. So they gave us media training and they gave that we had like um, day outings to different industries and yeah, just had a really good time networking. And it just it's such an incredible experience. Like if you're thinking of applying it was actually a friend of mine who suggested that I apply. I went, oh, shucks, you know, like, <laughs> not me. Um, and they really, really forced me to apply. And, you know, I can't thank them highly enough because it was an incredible experience. So if someone is thinking of applying or even if you see the criteria and you think of someone else, then tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, look, apply for this because it's so worth it. It is such an incredible family to be a part of. Um, and such an amazing experience. That is the best description of a leadership program that I've heard in a long time. I'm they they will be sitting out there going, can we take that excerpt and put it on all our advertising? It's beautiful. So I'm really curious about something because I feel like you're going to have a really cool opinion on this. So I've been pondering while you've been speaking about the challenges that we're facing in the rural sector at the moment. And I think you have a really good understanding of what that means from a community perspective, from an environmental perspective, um, probably also employment wise, because you're involved, you know, with um, as a professional off farm as well. 
What are your thoughts on how we can successfully continue wonderful way of life in farming in New Zealand? Because I think there are things that have to change and that's that's obvious. And I think most people are on board with those changes, but there are some really, really big challenges. And yeah, I think I just love your thoughts on what that means for us probably is that that new generation, you know, coming into perhaps being new into farming or coming into farming, how are we going to be successful? That we have to be really, really um, firm in what our values are and what's important to us. And I think once you know your core values, then you can approach anything with a bit more of an open mind. And I think you're right, change is inevitable, right? And the things that served us yesterday aren't going to be the things that serve us tomorrow. And we are, there are going to be things that have to change. But change isn't always a bad thing. And maybe if we looked at things with an open mind and if we approached the future with a bit more hope and optimism around our value set and went, what's really important to me? Do you know, what are the things that I'm non-negotiable about? And what, what are the other things that maybe aren't so important that I'm worrying about that I don't need to? Do you know, like maybe we could just think that, do you know, the future is going to be bright and we actually create that. So if we have a bit more of an open mind, a bit more blue sky thinking and approach things with hope and optimism, then I don't think the challenges look nearly so scary. They just, they're just changes. They're opportunities. Yeah, just changes. <laughs> I like that. How do you manage to fit everything in? So I'm genuinely asking here because you have so many hats that you wear, whether it's, you know, the mum role, the vet role, the whole foods role, the governance roles. At what point do you kind of take a step back and think, wow, you know, this is the certain direction that I'm going and I'm, I'm comfortable with this level of busyness. What are your mechanisms, I guess, for juggling all of the things all of the time? Because yeah, you, you're, you're covering so many different elements here. Yeah. I'd like some advice actually, personally asking for a friend, how do you do it all? <laughs> Daycare. Daycare. <Yeah. laughs> and Amen. be comfortable with dropping the ball right? Like I do not achieve perfection. And so I think you have to be and being really, really compassionate with yourself on the days you do drop the balls. Um, and it's okay. Like, you know, there's obviously some really important things like keeping the kids alive at the end of the day, like, you know, everyone making it safe um, home and into bed at night is really important. But there are some things that are so much less important. And just be kind to yourself. Like if you don't achieve something or if you let someone down, be humble, say sorry, move on. You know, we are all human. We can't achieve perfection. You just have to be happy with what you do manage to achieve in a day. And I drop so many balls all the time. <laughs> oh, and have a cleaner. <laughs> yeah, outsource. It takes a village. It does. It does. I totally agree with you on that one. And I think... You know, done is better than perfect. And also you have to look at those balls and say, which one can I really not drop because it's a glass one? And which one, you know, it will probably bounce if I drop it. And I think that's a really important distinction to make as well. So one thing I'm always curious about, and it does relate a little bit to this last question, but when you do have a lot of hats and you do have a really busy life, I think it's just so important 
to get some time out for yourself, to get that, I suppose, me time or the, um, the, the cup refilling moments. So I'm really interested as to what that looks like for Vic Smith. Once again, daycare. <laughs> no, um, I was yeah thinking about this and it's really about making it a priority and scheduling. If I need time out, it goes on the calendar. Um, and there are daily things that go into my daily habits and structure that are so important to keep me, you know, my cup full, to keep me looked after, to keep me healthy. Because I think you're right, I do have a lot of different hats. And to be maintaining that level of momentum all the time requires like self care plus, plus, plus. Like, I am the person that does daily yoga. I am the person who does daily meditation and daily gratitude journaling because. If I didn't, I couldn't keep running at the high level that I am. So I just know that I have to be almost excessive in the self-care department. Like I know that there shouldn't be such a thing as excessive, but I almost over push it so that I can be able to maintain that high level of momentum. Um, but I think it's just really important knowing what you need to fill your cup and yeah, scheduling it in. You know, it's, you would schedule in a coffee with a friend or a meeting for work. So you need to schedule in that coffee with yourself or that self-care meeting for you. Yeah, nice. I read something about that recently. It was like, think of yourself as a CEO and then book your own CEO meetings because you'd never cancel on a CEO. And I was like, damn, it's deep. I like it. The question just around the, the rural life. So tell us a little bit about Ranfurly. Now that you've been embedded into the community, what is really great about it? What do you love about rural life? And um, what perhaps what has been a bit of a culture shock as well I mean you've you've been here for a you've been part of the rural fabric now for a really long time but if you can cast your mind back with any cultural differences or anything that really stuck out to you when you first moved to Ranfurly I'll start with what I really love about rural life so I love the fact that I have so, so much wide open space. I am, I love having space. And for me, it's really important to go out and just be able to um, see so much blue sky and breathe fresh air. And that's really, really important to me. It fills my soul. So um, having that, like where we live, we have amazing big open spaces and skies. So that's like, I love that. And I re I'm really grateful for that. I think I've got a lot of friends in cities and urban environments and they just can't even comprehend the degree of space we have. And I find I feel quite claustrophobic now when I'm in a city for a long period of time because I really miss that space. With regards to rural communities, what I love is that the people, gosh, it's amazing. You walk down the street and you know everyone and you can talk to everyone and it's just so friendly. And it's like you have an extension to your family. And when, when you need people, they're there. And when you want to celebrate with people, they're there. And I just don't think you get that all the time in some of our urban environments. So I am really, really grateful for that too, as from a community perspective, that we just have an extension to our family. And my kids have an extension to their family. Like the community is there for our whole family. Culture shocks, differences moving here. It was really natural for me. It was a really natural fit. I'm trying to think of things that I miss. I actually, I'm like a real, I'm really passionate about drum and bass music. And there's not that many places to go out and listen to drum and bass around Philly. Like I was going to say, a friend and I were just discussing that today. And that's probably a, a fun fact for everybody. Um, yes, she is. She's there. just arrived. 
Beck Smith yeah. with a real Beck Smith please stand <laughs> up I love it um that was that was probably like I had to travel so far for different gigs so that when I first started was just it was a bit more traveling but yeah that was probably one of the biggest things I missed actually and the only thing like everything else I need is here that is pretty beautiful I have to say I I agree with the wide open space I think probably most people in the rural space do but um yeah it's it's stunning like I've got all of the Waikato mountains so you'll know because you grew up in Cambridge <laughs> Mangatauteri and Kekabuka and Porongia from my house so it's it's pretty cool our last question for you today I'm really curious about because you have got such a lot going on in your life and there's a lot of different facets as well because you've got obviously the whole story and being a, a vet working on farm, your children, family. Question is, what are you hoping to achieve over the next 12 months? And what are some of those things that you think about when you're setting those goals? Because I feel like you must be quite goal-driven. <laughs> so what are those things and how do you do that? How do you set those goals and what might they look like this year? You'd be surprised. My goals are, I'm not very good at setting smart goals. That is like a, a confession. This is Confessions of Beck Smith right here. I'm not very good at setting smart goals. My goals have much more of a, a feeling to them or they're, they're a lot softer. Um, but my goal for the next 12 months, I'm very clear on, and it is to create flow in each of those facets you speak of to be able to be where my feet are at the, and be present in the moment. So not to be worried about what's going on with the whole story while I'm with the kids and not to be worried about the kids just knowing they're under control while I'm busy out on the farm or at work in the vet practice. So it's really about finding that flow and that real comfort that everything is as it should be and that I can just be present in the moment. That's all I want for the next 12 months. I think that is that is an awesome goal to have and one that I can relate to completely. Just shut, shutting off the brain, shutting off one part of the brain while you know you're you're elsewhere doing something else and yeah just wanting to be in the moment so I love it thank you so much for your time Bex you are such an inspiration to so many of us and um, you've got so many things on the go but you're so involved with the community and you're giving back in so many different ways and we have just been absolutely thrilled that you could take the time to talk to us so thank you so much and we can't wait to see where you're going to be in the next 12 months Rural Women New Zealand is a community of like-minded women who are doing amazing things in their respective regions and communities. This podcast celebrates the achievements, successes and stories of our rural women, which are also the foundations for our organisation's rich history. We want you to be part of our future story. So please join us by clicking on the link in the show notes and we look forward to welcoming you into the fold. Mm-hmm.